Welcome Beyond Our Focus. I'm Stefan, this is Amanda, and this is Let's Palaver About Wizard and Glass, the fourth novel in the Stephen King Dark Tower saga. Today is June 10th, a fancy Monday, and we're going over the fifth chapter titled Turnpike. 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 I have to go back. I don't know where I'm. There it is. There's Turnpike. I forgot to put any kind of bookmark in. I think every time I use one of the leaves off the table and then I lose it somewhere. Well, I have a like, leaf where we're going and then I start off with a fancy Babas Loss. Mine's right sticker. on the picture. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The picture's in the middle here somewhere. There it is. Oh. Uh, 98. Yours is 112. There's I assume that was supposed to be Roland's dream. Or not Roland's dream, Eddie's dream. Yeah, actually, that would make a lot of sense. It's got to be Eddie's dream. See, in context now, because I know that we were looking at the pictures when we first started the novel going, okay, yeah, that makes very, sense now. They're very abstract. That makes a lot of sense. Very, very abstract. Except, I'm... Okay, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the... Bulldozer? Bulldozer, yeah. Words, words are hard. If the audio is a bit off... It's just because, for whatever reason, the microphone isn't working with the phone, and it's being a pain. So we're just recording from the phone today. So if the audio is kind of wonky or weird or off or bad, it's because of that. We're winging it. So. And if I sound awful, it's just because I sound awful. <laughs> I promise you, the phone audio is better than the camera audio. So it, it's still as good as it can be. Alrighty then. Let's uh, get started. Let's yeah. Let's get this started. Yeah. Let's get this started. Yeah. Great. Now the song's gonna be stuck in my head. <laughs> Yay! I just realized that the show is reading. It's all about reading. And I can't talk. You're gonna be doing a lot of reading today, okay? <laughs> That is what this is. We're going over a book. I mean, these are a podcast. Talking is required in all of that. I know, and... You manage Tuesday. You can manage I today. Managed, I managed Tuesday and nearly died because I felt like I had to yell at you the entire time. Well, was it about June? Was it about June? <laughs> all right. Alrighty then. If I just randomly stab him with a pen during this podcast, it won't be the first. I'll let you guys know, especially for our podcast people. Okay. <laughs> Maybe they... you won't be able to see it, so you won't get the full full enjoyment out of it. Ah, you'll hear the screaming. Uh, Roland walked to the end of the platform, kicking bits of pink metal out of his way as he went. At the stairs, he paused and looked back at them somberly more dead be ready they're not um runny are they jake asked roland frowned then his face cleared as he understood what jake meant no not runny dry that's all right then jake said but he held his hand out to susanna who was carrying being carried by eddie for 
the time being. She gave him a smile and folded her fingers around his. That would have changed the story drastically if Susanna was sitting there carrying Eddie, okay? I mean, she, she she's strong. I'm sure she could. <laughs> sure she could. But just whole new meaning. Whole new meaning. She's just going out of her little stubs and little hands and Eddie's on her back. <laughs> but no, it just... It goes to show you still that Jake is young. Like, he's still... No matter how much we feel he's aged during this time, or how many years-ish, we don't know how much time really has passed. But he still is young, considering that he's still seeking comfort. He's still wanting to hold someone's hand while he's going through this horrible place. We find out pretty soon that the entire... Most of, like, half the last book and the first part of this book all takes place in a day. Nah. No. I don't know. This is... Hey, that's, that is told by, by Eddie himself. Even still. It's been one long day. I just... It's been one well, heck of a really day. I didn't really sleep on... They didn't sleep on Blaine, so... <laughs> no, I mean, from, I, I'm pretty sure from right when they went up to... I think probably the last time they camped was probably before they got on the, the bridge in the last book. And then the bridge happened, and then Gasher happened, and then into the town, and getting Jake back, and getting on the train, and the riddling, and then getting here, and then getting off, and seeing this town. A lot has happened in this day. <laughs> The singular day. That has felt like an eternity. It has. Which, because for us, it has been. Which makes me really feel like you are in their world. Because as they always say, time works differently here. <sighs> so it's like... Whew, it's been one heck of a five day. Five years in a day. At least. Uh, oh, uh... Of course, and then we get the dead baby joke again. Slightly brought up. Yes. Because he was what? He was looking at everything and just seeing all the mummified corpses. And he said, why did the dead baby cross the road? Because it was stapled to the super flu. Yeah, because why not? Jake, you got some thoughts going on there that are a little, a little strange. Um, to which, of course, he's looking at these mummies and realizing they still have suitcases, they still have everything. And he's like, where were you guys hoping to go? Jake wondered. Where in the crispy craft did you think might be safe enough? Des Moines, Sioux City, Fargo, the moon? Moon sounds good. Yeah. The moon probably would have been the best bet. It would have. (laughs) Get off the planet, you're probably better off. Uh, Slow down, Roland, Eddie said. I want to check the crypt spaces before we can go. We might get lucky. The crypt spaces. I had never heard of that in my life. Neither have I until this. Never. But I mean, Susanna, of course, got it right. Like, right away. She's like, what does it mean? Like, what are those? And she's like, I only ask because it doesn't sound pleasant. Like, she, she knows that... Whatever he's trying to say, it's probably a derogatory term. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, we find out within the next paragraph that 
that it was. Yeah. But it doesn't stop us from continuing to use it oh, the rest no, of no. the chapter. Um, there, Eddie pointed at the at a rank of signs marked marking the parking row closest to the station. There are actually two signs to a post. The top of each pair, blue and white. The bottom, red and white. When they drew a little closer, Jake saw the one on top was a wheelchair symbol. The one on bottom was a warning. $200 fine for improper use of handicapped parking space. Strictly enforced by Topeka PD. See there, Susanna said triumphantly. They should have done that a long time ago. Why, back when... Back in my when, you're lucky if you can get your darn wheelchair through the door of anything smaller than a shop and save. Uh, lucky if you can get up over the curb. And special parking? Forget it. Yeah, I don't know. If I, yeah, I mean, it's a long time ago. Yeah. They're, they're when. Yeah. She's, I've never she's, been in a world without it. So she's, she's definitely from a different different time. Mm-hmm. Like that would have been n- nice to have. And there it is, Eddie cried. Hold your cards, folks, but I think we have a bingo. Still carrying Suzanne on his hip, a thing he would have been incapable of doing for any extended period of time, even a month ago, Eddie hurried over to the boat of a Lincoln. Strapped on the roof was a complicated-looking racing bicycle. Poking out of the half-open trunk was a wheelchair. Nor was this the only one. Um... Eddie set Susanna down and bent to examine the rig holding the chair to the trunk. There are a lot of crisscrossing elastic... Jesus. Uh, <laughs> plus some sort of locking bar. Eddie drew the Ruger Jake had taken from his father's desk drawer. Fire in the hole, he said cheerfully, and before any of them could even think of covering their ears, he pulled the trigger and blew the lock off the security bar. The sound went rolling into the silence, then echoed back. The warbling sound of the thinny returned with it, as if the gunshot had snapped it awake. Sounds Hawaiian, doesn't it? Jake Mm -hmm. thought, and grimaced with distaste. Half an hour ago, he wouldn't have believed that a sound could be as physically upsetting as, well, the smell of rotting meat, say. But he believed it now. He looked up at the turnpike signs. From this angle, he could only see their tops, but there was enough to confirm that they were shimmering again. It throws some kind of field, Jake thought, the way mixers and vacuum cleaners make static on the radio or TV, or where, or the way that cyclotron gadget made my the hair on my arm stand up. What's going on? If it's Netflix. Anything important? No. <laughs> Eddie reached at the locked bar side and used Roland's knife to cut the electric cords, then drew the wheelchair out of the trunk, examining it, unfolded it, and engaged the support which ran across the back of the seat level. Voila, he said. Susanna had propped herself on one hand. Jake thought she looked a little like the woman in his Andrew Weath painting he liked. Uh, Christian's world. It was examining the chair with some wonder. God almighty. It looks so little in light. Yeah, better with her hand. Um, modern technology at its finest, darling, Eddie said, is what we fought Vietnam for. Hop in. Uh, 
I'm sure that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 It's definitely it. She expected it to collapse under her weight. Now I'm sure it's going to be absolutely wonderful compared to the, the old one. Good old Iron Maiden. Then, of course, you know, Jake wandered off with Oi following him. Make you homesick, honey? Suzanne asked from behind Jake. Probably thought you'd never see an honest-to-God American automobile again, right? Jake considered this and decided she was not right. It had never crossed his mind that he would remain in Roland's world forever, that he might never see another car. He didn't think that would bother him, actually, but he also didn't think it was in the cards. Not yet, anyway. There was a certain vacant lot in the New York when the New York when he had come from. It was on the corner of Second Avenue and Forty Sixth Street. Once there had been a deli there. Oh, once there had been a deli there. Tom and Jerry's party platters our specialty, but now it was just rubble and weeds and broken glass and and a rose. Just a single wild rose growing in a vacant lot where a bunch of condos were scheduled to go up at some point. But Jake had an idea that there was nothing quite like it growing anywhere else on earth. Speaking of parents, I might might not be done with them either, Jake thought. The idea of hurrying his heartbeat with a mixture of hope and alarm. They stopped halfway down the row of cars. Jake staring blankly across the wide street. Gage Ballivard, he assumed. As he considered these things, now Roland and Eddie caught up to them. This baby gonna be great for a couple of months push uh of months pushing the iron main. It's gonna be great. After a couple of months of pushing the iron main. Yeah. That's so light compared. Okay. Quick quick thing. Did you say Boulevard? Boulevard. Probably. Okay, it's Boulevard, but you're not making fun of me of how I say roof anymore. Okay. Well, I say Boulevard. I just I, I didn't really know the word. Oh, I don't know if I ever read Boulevard. I thought that was just how you pronounced it. I was like, this no. roof, roof thing's not no. No. I'm not going there anymore. I just didn't even really know the word, so oh, I just okay. kind of fumbled through it and kept moving. Boulevard. Uh, this baby gonna be great after a couple months pushing the iron maiden, Eddie said with a grin. I bet you could uh, darn near puff it along. He blew he uh, blew a deep breath at the back of the wheelchair to demonstrate. Jake thought of telling Eddie that there were probably others back in the crypt spaces with motors on them, then realized what Eddie must have known uh, right away. Their batteries would be dead. Uh, Susanna ignored them at the time being, and it was Jake she was interested in. You didn't answer me, Sook. All those these cars get you homesick? Nah. But I was curious about whether or not there were not they were all cars I knew. I thought maybe if this version of 1986 grew out of some other world than my 1977, there'd be a way to tell. But I can't tell because things change so darn fast, even in nine years. Hey, Shugs. Then looked at Eddie. You might be able to, though. I mean, you actually lived in 1986. Eddie grunted. I lived through it. But I didn't exactly observe it. I was, uh, screwed. I was, a uh, High to the sky. High to the sky. Still, I suppose. Eddie started pushing, uh, her along. 
And this we start getting a whole bunch of cars. Yes, he starts naming almost every car. It always still... It always still weirds me out thinking that Jake is actually older than Eddie. In a sense. I guess he's what? He was roughly 13 or 14 when Eddie was technically like 12 or something. He met him. How old was he there? Well, I don't know. It's weird. I guess not, maybe. They're roughly the same age. I mean, technically, if if Jake had grown up, him and Eddie would have been the same age. Yeah. They just grew up, took him out at different times. They would have been roughly the same age. Because Jake was, like, he was 13 or 14 when he was in his world. And Eddie was young. But I don't remember how young they said he was. I Jake was only, like, 11. I think they claim he's 14 in this. It's been a while, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, I don't remember. I don't know either. Because I thought that was one of the problems we had with the Dark Tower movie, is that Jake was supposed to be like 11, and the kid they picked would look like he was 15. I don't remember. I, I don't think know. in here they say something about his age. They do say something about his age, somewhere in here. I don't know. I, well, just reading that, in this version of 1986, grew out of some other world than my 1977. So, I don't... I, A little strange. This time traveling shit. Yeah. So yes, we get a whole list of cars because Eddie seems to just know them all. And then we get the gunslinger showed no interest in the cars at all. He was gazing along the street into the park. Uh, towards the turnpike. Except Jake didn't think he was actually looking at any of these things. Jake had an idea that Roland was simply looking to his own thoughts. If so, the expression on his face suggested that he wasn't finding anything good there. And then more descriptions of cars. <laughs> to which they both get to a vehicle that neither of them heard of, which was the the Takura Spirit. And a... Way down here. A Takura, he said, mostly to himself. He ran around to the trunk. A Takura spirit, to be exact. Ever heard of that make and model Jake of New York? Jake shook his head. Me either, he said. And he began pushing Santa towards Gage Boulevard. To which Susanna's still, you know, just surprised that the wheelchair is just, just going so well. Well, Technology. Oh, wait. No, no, no. That's right. I read that wrong. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's that because they kept stopping, she's like, we're going to be old before we even get to the park. But, um, yeah, at this rate, we'll be old before we get to yonder park yeah. and, and dead before we raise to the turnpike. This time, Eddie didn't apologize, didn't seem to even hear her. He was looking at the bumper sticker on the front of a rusty old AMC Pacer. The sticker was blue and white, like the little wheelchair signs marking the crypt spaces. Why the hell do they call it that? <laughs> That's All what they call it. was that. the Crypt Keeper, okay? Yeah. It's not even Crypt, it's Crypt, but I still think of the Crypt Keeper. Mm-hmm. Jake squatted for a better look, and when Oi dropped his head on Jake's knee, the boy stroked him absently. With his other hand, he reached out and touched the sticker as if to verify its reality. Kansas City Monarchs, it said. The O in Monarchs was a baseball with speed lines drawn out behind it as if it were leaving the park. Eddie said, 
Check me if I'm wrong on this sport, because I know almost zilch about baseball west of Yankee Stadium, but shouldn't that say Kansas City Royals? You know, George Brett and all that? Jake nodded. He knew the Royals, and he knew Brett, although he had been a young player in Jake's win and must have been a fairly old one in Eddie's. So, I, I don't, time travel. I mean, that would have made sense. Yeah. I mean, Jake came, what, way before Eddie? Yeah, I mean, 77, so it would have been another nine years, so. Kansas City Athletics, you mean, Susanna said, sounding bewildered. Roland ignored it all. He was still cruising in his own personal ozone layer. Not by 86, darling, Eddie said kindly. By 86, the athletics were in Oakland. He glanced from the bumper sticker to Jake. Minor league team, maybe? He asked, triple A? The triple A Royals are still the Royals, Jake said. They play in Omaha. Come on, let's go. And although he didn't know about the others, Jake himself went on with a lighter heart. Maybe it was stupid, but he was relieved. He didn't believe that this terrible plague was waiting up ahead for his world, because there was no Kansas City Monarchs in his world. Maybe that wasn't enough information upon which to base a conclusion, but it felt true, and it was an enormous relief to be able to believe that his mother and father weren't slated to die of a germ people called Captain Trips and be burned in a, a landfill or something. Except that wasn't quite a sure thing. Even if this wasn't the 1986 version of the, his 1977 world. Because even if this awful plague had happened in a world where there were cars called Takura Spirits and George Brett played for the KC Monarchs, Roland said the trouble was spreading. That things like the super flu were eating through the fabric of existence like battery acid eating its way into a piece of cloth. Yeah, yeah, things aren't good. When Eddie grasped his shoulder and squeezed, Jake had to bite his tongue to keep from screaming. You're giving yourself the hoodoos. And another word I've never heard of. I get what it means, but yeah. the hoodoos? Do you do the hoodoos? Eddie said, what do you know about it, Jake asked, and sounded rude. But he was mad from being scared of being seen into. He didn't know, didn't much care either. When it comes to hoodoos, I'm an old hand, Eddie said. I don't know exactly what's on your mind, but whatever it is, this would be an, ex an excellent time to stop thinking about it. That, Jake decided, was probably good advice. They walked across the street towards Gage Park and one of the greatest shocks of Jake's life. And all horror hit the fan. Oh, it does. It does. For good reason. So pretty much they go into this nice, beautiful park. Everything's a little bit overgrown and everything. And they see this carousel. Every, just everything's gorgeous. And tell Jake just... He, he just gets a chill. Because first he sees the kid's baseball glove just casually hanging on something. Says, Beyond the carousel, the foliage grew even thicker, strangling the path until the travelers edge along single file like lost children in a fairy tale wood. Thorns from overgrown and unpruned rose bushes tore at Jake's clothes. He had some got somehow gotten into the lead, probably because Roland was still deep inside his own thoughts, and that was why he saw Charlie the Choo Choo first. Good old Charlie the no. Choo Choo. No, we Charlie. just left Charlie. No. We just left him. We just left the live futuristic version of Charlie the Choo Choo. Okay? Yes, we don't need another Charlie. 
His only thought while approaching the narrow gauge train tracks, which crossed the path, where they were little more than toy tracks, really, was the gunslinger saying that Ka was like a will, always rolling around to the same place again. We're haunted by roses and trains, he thought. Why? I don't know. I guess it's just another rid- I assume, riddle. Then he looked to his left, and oh, goodness to Christ, fell out of his mouth all in one word. The strength ran from his legs, and he sat down. His voice sounded watery and distant in his own ears. He didn't quite faint, but the color drained out of the world until it, until the running to riot foliage of the West Side Park looked almost gray and out of the sky overhead. Jake! Jake! What's wrong? It was A, and Jake could hear the genuine concern in his voice, but it seemed to be coming over a bad long-distance connection from Bermuda? From Beirut? Nope, Beirut. Where's Beirut? Beirut. Beirut. Say, maybe Uranus. Why not? And he could feel Roland's steadying hand on his shoulder, but it was a distant, it was as distant as Eddie's voice. Jake! Susanna, what's wrong, honey? What? Then she saw and stopped talking at him. Eddie saw and also stopped talking at him. Roland's hand fell away. They all stood looking, except for Jake, who sat looking. He supposed the strength and the feeling would come back to his legs eventually and would get up. But right now, they felt like limp macaroni. The train was parked 50 feet up by a toy station that mimicked the one across the street. Hanging from the eaves was a sign which read, Topeka. The train was Charlie the Choo Choo. Cow catcher and all, a 402 big boy steam locomotive. And Jake knew if he found enough strength to get up to his feet and go over there, he would find a family of mice nested in the seat where the engineer, whose name had undoubtedly been Bob, something or another, had once sat. There would be another family, this one of swallows nested in the smokestack. And the dark, oily tears, Jake thought, looked at the tiny train waiting in front of its tiny station with its skin crawling all over the body and his balls hard on its stomach and as a nut. Nut. That sounded like ten, ten times more horrible than what it actually says. Well, it's not good, okay? At night... Okay. At, sorry, it sounded like someone dying outside. At night it cries those dark oily tears and they're rusting the hell out of his fine Stratham headlight. But in your time, Charlie boy, you pulled your share of kids, right? Around and around Gage Park you went and the kids laughed, except some of them weren't really laughing. Some of them, the ones who were wise to you, were screaming the way I'd scream now if I had the strength. Just for the record, I don't blame you, Eddie said. His voice was grim. So was his face. I feel a little like falling over myself. That's the one in your book. That's it to the life. That's it to the life. So weird. 
paraphrasing. So now we know where Miss Beryl Evans got the idea for Charlie the Choo Choo, Susanna said. Either she lived here or sometime before 1942 when the thing was published, she visited Topeka. I won't answer silly questions. I won't play silly games. Roland said musingly, Can you go on, Jake? Nah, seeing the train, it's done, it's over. I'm not going any further. I can't go on. It's too much. Just leave me here. (laughs) The toy train up here is too much. Yes, and then as soon as they walk away, I bet he's going to be up on his feet. Be like, nope, nope, I'm going with you. (laughs) I'm not messing around with this thing we're talking about. Now Jake bent and scooped Oi up. He looked at the rusting train standing silently in its station, its dark headlamp like a dead eye. I'm not afraid, he said in a low voice. Not afraid of you. The headlamp came to life and flashed at him once, brief but glare bright, emphatic. I know different. I know different, my dear little squint. Then it went out. None of the others had seen. Jake glanced once more at the train, expecting the light to flash again. Maybe expecting the cursed thing to actually start up and make a run at him. But nothing happened. Heart thumping hard in his chest, Jake hurried after his companions. I think we're done with trains. Just, just... Yeah, let's get past the trains. 20 trains. No, we're at the zoo. Yeah, yeah. I put a single note in the zoo. So Just pretty... a lot of dead animals. Um. Yeah, pretty much they... Are walking through the zoo, a lot of dead animals. Oi finds a wolf and starts howling. Yeah. To which Eddie apparently is just affronted. He's he, make him stop. Make him stop, Jake. Like, dude. It was too much. It was, it was too just much. too much, I guess. I mean, you shot your gun a minute ago. Are we really worried about Oi howling a little bit? And then Roland, of course, is just looking over thing, and he says, "So fell Lord Perth," murmured Roland. And the countryside did shake with that thunder, Jake finished. Roland looked down at him with surprise, like a man awakening from a deep sleep, then smiled and put an arm around Jake's shoulder. I have played Lord Perth in my time, he said. Have you? Yes. Very soon now, you shall hear. Very soon. Piking again, yep. and he said in a voice almost too low to hear. Uh, then he sighed. What's turn piking, Eddie? Jake didn't think Eddie was going to answer. Then Susanna craned around to look at him as he stood with his fingers wrapped around the handles of the new wheelchair. Eddie looked away, uh, then looked back, first at Susanna, then Jake. It's not pretty. Not much of my life before Gary Cooper here ganked me. <laughs> Across the Great Divide was. You don't have to. It's also no big deal. And then we get a very long description of turnpiking. So pretty much it's just driving around. For them it was getting high and driving. Well, one of them wasn't high. They were the driver. But just getting high, driving around these turnpikes and everything else in the night. Mm-hmm. And just having a good time. Yeah. And then most people it's just... Not being high and just driving around with your friends in the middle of the night. Uh, It sounds sort of fun, Jake said. Not the drug part, I mean, but riding around with your pals at night, looking at the moon and listening to the music. That sounds excellent. 
It was, actually, Eddie said. Even stuffed so full of reds we were apt to pee our own shoes and the bushes, as in the bushes. It was excellent. He paused. That's the horrible part. Don't you get it? Turnpike, and the gunslinger said. Let's do some. Roland, you don't have a vehicle. Okay. Just throwing that out there. If y'all get one of these vehicles going, I mean, Mike's make some good time to this dark tower thing. I'm just saying. Um, so, to which they found some interesting signs. Yep. One that says, watch for the walking dude. And then the next one that said, all hail the Crimson King with an eyeball. Do you know what that truck means, Roland? Susanna asked. Roland shook his head, but looked troubled. And that intrusive, introspective look never left his own eyes. They went on. So, yeah, they see a lot of familiar places, like different fast food places. I'm still just amazed. Amazed at how much, how many references Stephen King was able to use in his books. Because most people have to do every single thing they can to get around it. Naming something with a name, you can kind of tell what it's supposed to be, but it's not the exact thing. He just flat out names off Arby's, Wendy's, McD's, Pizza Hut. And something called Boeing Boeing Burgers. But yes, so, and then they find themselves reaching the thinny. Which is, once again, a really loud, uncomfortable place. Mm-hmm. And Roland comes up with a solution. Yeah. Roland, meanwhile, was rummaging in the depths of his purse. He appeared to dig all the way to the bottom before finding what he wanted. A fistful of bullets plucked. He plucked Susanna's right hand off her arm of her chair and put two of the bullets in her palm. Then he took two more and poked them. Slugs in first into his ears. Susanna looked first amazed, then amused, then doubtful. In the end, she followed his example almost at once. An expression of blissful relief filled her face. Bullets. Bullets. To which Eddie was like, okay, and then unholsters the Ruger. And he's Mm. like... And Roland's like, no, that won't work. Roland's like, well, why? <laughs> uh, they're from your world. They won't block out the sign. Don't ask me how I know that. I just do. Then try them if you want, but they won't work. Eddie pointed to the bullets uh, Roland was offering. Those are from our world, too. The gun shop on 7th and 49th. Uh, Clements. Wasn't that the name? These didn't come from there. These are mine, Eddie. Uh, reloaded often, but originally brought from the Greenland from Gilead. You mean the wets? Yeah, the wets. The wets, he kept them. The last of the shells from the beach, the ones that really got soaked? Roland nodded. You said those would never be fired again. No matter how dry they got, the powder had been, what'd you say, flattened? Uh, Roland nodded again. So why'd you save them? Why bring a bunch of useless bullets all this way? What did I teach you to say after uh, a kill, Eddie, in order to focus your mind? Father, guide my hand and heart so that no part of the animal will be wasted. To which Eddie, of course, 
tries the Ruger ones anyway. Of course he does. He was like, I just want to see. And it's like they muffled the sound, but it wasn't enough. So then he immediately turns to the actual bullets Roland gave him, and he's like, oh, this is better. This actually do work quite well. Quite well. Hmm. Is there anything you don't know? He asked Roland. Yes, Roland said. Quite a lot. What about Oi? Jake asked. Oi will be fine, I think, Roland said. Come on, let's make some miles before dark. And then, of course, Oi wasn't bothered by anything. He's good, the bumbler. He's good. So they actually, my next note is actually um, entering the thing. I don't know what my next note is. What it claims to be and what I wrote down don't match. So, <laughs> what does it claim to be? So I don't know. Let's just go with yours. Um, my next one was just that they, uh, where was, okay, um, yeah, they actually entered the thinny, which turned out to be a feeling, like, it's just this weird, gross feeling, all of them start feeling sick, it's just, it's just gross, <laughs> but the way they described it, because they said, um, Um, its silver blankness was all around them now, as if the whole world had turned into a flat Norfolk fin at dawn. Nearby trees poked out of its silver surface, casting distorted reflections that never stayed quite still or quite in focus. A little farther away, Susanna could see a grain storage tower seeming to float. Um, it was like riding in an open cockpit plane through broken clouds. They'd go for what felt like miles through the humming brightness that was not quite fog and not quite water, sometimes seeing shapes loom out of it, then losing everything but the road. So the note that I had that I wrote down was that it reminded me of the Upside Down from Stranger Things. Yep. Down. A month. They have a month. I know. I can't wait. A month. But yes, they've been finding these breaks in the thinny where it's like it'll just suddenly be a hole to where everything's back to normal, and then they'll go back into the thinny, and they finally reach like the longest one. Yep. We'll camp here for the night, Roland said. Soon after they had passed a big springs exit ramp, up ahead they could see the thinny encroaching on the highway again, but that was miles further on. You could see a darn long way in the eastern Kansas, Susanna was discovering. We can get firewood without going too near the thinny, and the sound won't be too bad. We may be able to sleep without the bullets stuffed into our ears. So they start making Zephyr. To which Eddie sees something in the distance. She does. Uh, Roland, Eddie called. Suze, come over here. Look at this. Suzanne started rolling her chair toward Eddie. Then Roland, after a final check of the campfire, took hold of the handles and pushed her. Look at what? Suzanne asked. Eddie pointed. At first, Susanna saw nothing, although the turnpike was perfectly visible, even beyond the point where the thinny closed in again. Then, yes, 
She might see something, maybe. A kind of shape at the farthest edge of the vision. If not for the fading daylight. Is it a building? Jake asked. Cripes, it looks like it's built right across the highway. What about it, Roland? Eddie asked. You got the best eyes in the universe. For a time, the gunslinger said nothing, only looked up the median strip with his thumbs hooked in his gun belt. At last, he said, We'll see it better when we get closer. Oh, come on, Eddie said. I mean, do you know what it is or not? We'll see it better when we get closer, the gunslinger repeated, which was, of course, no answer at all. No. No, not even even a little bit. Roland, you know what that is. You know what that is. Susanna looked at Jake and Eddie. She shrugged. They shrugged back. And then Jake burst into bright pearls of laughter. Usually, Susan thought, the kid acted more like an 18-year-old than a boy of 11. So he's 11. But that laughter made him sound about 9 going on 10. And she didn't mind a bit. She looked down at Oi, who was looking at them earnestly and rolling his shoulders in an effort to shrug. You shrug. You do that shrugging. Shruggy, shrug, shrug. When the bird cried in the distance again, he rused himself and looked at Roland. You had something you were going to tell us, he said. A thrilling tale of your youth, I believe. Susan, that was her name, wasn't it? For a moment longer, the gunsinger continued to look up at the sky. Now it was Roland who must find himself adrift in the constellations. Eddie realized, and when he shifted his gaze to his friend, he looked strangely apologetic, strangely uneasy. Would you think it was... Cozing? Cozening? Cozening? It's a fun word. It's a real fun word. I, I, I get what he means by it, but it's not a word I'm familiar with. He said, if I ask for one more day to think about these things, or perhaps it's a night to dream of them that I really want, they are old things, dead things, perhaps. But I, he raised his hand in a kind of distract gesture. Some things don't, some things don't rest easy, even when they're dead. Their bones cry out from the ground. They're ghosts, Jake said, and in his eyes, Eddie saw a shadow of the horror he must have felt. Ah, inside the house of the Dutch Hill, the horror he must have felt when the doorkeeper coming out, doorkeeper came out of the wall and reached for him. Sometimes there are ghosts, and sometimes they come back. I think doorkeeper works better. Hmm? I said doorkeeper. That works what? better. It's like door people. Doorkeeper? Doorkeeper. So it's like doorkeeper. And uh, the, sometimes they come back, I believe, is a movie. I just can't think of what. That sounds vaguely familiar. Roland thought this over carefully, then raised his eyes to look at her. At tomorrow's night fire, I will tell you of Susan, he said. This I promise on my father's name. So we will learn of Susan. Do we need to hear? Eddie asked abruptly. He was almost astounded to hear this question coming out of his mouth. No one had been more curious about the gunslinger's past than Eddie himself. I mean, if it really hurts, Roland, it hurts big time, maybe... I'm not sure you need to hear, but I think I need to tell. 
Our future is the tower, and to go toward it with a whole heart, I must put my past to rest as best I may. There's no way I could tell you all of it. In my world, even the past is in motion, rearranging itself in many vital ways. But this one story may stand for all the rest. Is it a western? Jake asked suddenly. Roland looked at him puzzled. I don't take your meaning, Jake. Gilead is a barony of the western world, yes. And Meiji says, well, but... It'll be a western, Eddie said. All Roland's stories are westerns. When you get right down to it. It's going to be a western. It's always a western. This whole series is a western. (laughs) Some sci-fi throwing in for good luck, but it's a western. So, oh, then Eddie has a dream. Eddie has a dream. He has a dream for all men. So he's standing in pretty much what? Yeah, he's standing in New York again, Second yeah. Avenue. By the and they're dressed like they are in Midworld, but no one can see them. So it's because we're ghosts, Eddie thought. We're ghosts, and we don't rest easy. And he starts looking at the signs and stuff posted on fences. And he doesn't know who Adam Sandler is. <laughs> uh, or the craft. Sees what is it? Beyond that, written in letters in dusty pink of summer roses, was this. See the bear of fearsome size. All the world's within his eyes. Time grows thin. The past's a riddle. The tower awaits you in the middle. There, Jake said, pointing. The rose. See how it awaits us there in the middle of the lot? Yes, it's very beautiful, Susanna said. Then she pointed to the sign standing near the rose and facing 2nd Avenue. But what about that? According to the sign, two outfits, Mills Construction and Sombra Real Estate, were going to combine on something called Turtle Bay Condominiums. Said condos to be erected on this very spot. When? Coming soon, was all the sign had to say. I wouldn't worry about that, Jake said. That sign was here before. It's probably old as the... At that moment, the revving sound of an engine tore into the air. From beyond the fence on the 46th Street side of the lot, chugs of dirty brown exhaust ascended like bad news smoke signals. Suddenly, the boards on that side burst open and a huge red bulldozer lunged through. Even the blade was red, although the words slashed across its scoop, all hail the Crimson King, were written in yellow. And of course, of course. (laughs) Sitting in the peak seat, his rotting face leering at them from above the controls, was the man who had kidnapped Jake from the bridge over the river Send, their old pal Gasher. On the front of his cocked-back hard hat, the words Lamrick Foundry stood up in, ba- in black. Above them, a single staring eye had been painted. Let's see, ask some of your silly questions now, this unwelcome apparition cried. Ask all your wants, my dear little calls, why not? Weary fond of riddles is your old pal Gasher. Just so you understand that, no matter what you ask, I am going... Jesus, Gasher. I am going to run that nasty thing over. Mash it flat, eh? So I will. Then back over it I'll go. Root and branch, my dear little calls. I root and branch. 
Susanna shrieked as the scarlet bulldozer blade bore down on the rose, and Eddie grabbed for the fence. He could, he would vault over it, throw himself on the rose to protect it, except it was too late, and he knew it. He looked back up at the cackling thing in the bulldozer's peak seat and saw that Gasher was gone. Now the man at the controls was Engineer Bob from Charlie the Choo Choo. Stop, Eddie screamed. For Christ's sake, stop. I can't, Eddie. The world has moved on, and I can't stop. I must move on with it. And as the shadow of the dozer fell over the rose, as the blade tore through one of the posts holding up the sign, he realized Eddie saw it coming soon had changed to coming now. He realized that the man on the controls wasn't Engineer Bob either. It was Roland. Eddie has some weird ass nightmares. <laughs> well, that's, that's not a nice dream. So Eddie, of course, wakes up, thought he must have screamed, but everybody's sleeping, except for Roland, cleaning the guns by starlight, because of course he was. Uh, Roland wasn't. It's a Roland, western. <laughs> Roland sat calmly on the far side of the dead campfire, cleaning his guns by starlight, and Eddie looking at, nope, starlight, and looking at Eddie. Bad dreams? Not a question. Yeah. A visit from your brother? Eddie shook his head. No, it definitely wasn't a visit from his brother. No. The tower, then? The field of roses in the tower? Roland's face remained impassive, but Eddie could hear the subtle eagerness of which the way... Uh, with eagerness, which always came to his voice when the subject of the tower. Eddie had once called the gunslinger a tower junkie, and Roland hadn't denied it. Not this time. What, then? Eddie shivered cold. Yes, thank your gods there was no rain, at least in the autumn, best to avoid the rain. Still, Eddie hesitated. You never, you'd never betray us, would you, Roland? No man can say that for sure, Eddie. And I have always played the, nope. And I have already played the betrayer more than once, to my shame. But I think those days are over. We are quartet. And if I betray any one of you, even Jake's furry friend, perhaps I betray myself. What do you ask? Why do you ask? Uh, and you'd never betray your quest. Renounce the tower? No, Eddie. Not that. Not ever. Tell me your dream. <laughs> so, Eddie does. Omitting nothing. So, what does it mean that I saw you driving that dozer at the end? That I still don't trust you? That subconsciously... Is this ology of the psyche? The ca the Kabbalah I have heard you and Susanna speak of? Yeah, I guess it is. It's garbage, Roland said dismissively. Mud pies of the mind. Dreams either mean nothing or everything. And when they mean everything, they almost always come as messages from... Well, from other levels of the tower. And not all messages are sent by friends. Something or someone is messing with my head? Is that what you mean? I think it's possible, but you must watch me all the same. I bear watching, as you well know. I trust you, he said, and the very awkwardness with which he spoke lent his words sincerity. Roland looked touched, almost shaken, and Eddie wondered how he ever could have thought this man an emotionless robot. Roland might be a little short on imagination, but he had feelings all right. One thing about your dream concerns me very much, Eddie. The bulldozer? 
The machine, yes, the threat to the rose. Jake saw the rose, Roland. It was fine. In his win, the win of the particular day, the rose was thriving. But that doesn't mean it will continue to do so. If the construction the sign spoke of comes, if the bulldozer comes, there are other worlds than these, Eddie said. Remember? Some things may exist only in one. In one where, in one when. Roland laid down and looked up at the stars. We must protect that rose, he said. We must protect it at all costs. You think it's another door, don't you? One that opens on the dark tower? The gunslinger looked at him from eyes that ran with starshine. I think it may be the tower, he said, and if it's destroyed. His eyes closed. He said no more. Eddie lay awake late. How far away you think it is? Thirty miles? Fifty? The answer seemed to depend on how far you could see in all this flat land, and Eddie didn't know the actual answer. One thing he felt quite sure of was that Jake had been right at least on two counts. It was some kind of building, and it sprawled across all four lanes of the highway. It must. How else would they see it? It would have been lost to the thinny, wouldn't it? Maybe it's standing in one of those open patches, what uh, Sue's like to call holes in the clouds. Or maybe the thinny ended before it got that far. Or maybe it's a hallucination. In any case, you might as well put it out of your mind for the time being. Got a little more turnpiking to do. Still, the building held them. It looked like an airy Arabian Nights confection of blue and gold. Except Eddie had an idea that the blue was stolen from the sky and the gold was the newly risen sun. Roland, come here a second. At first, Roland didn't think the... At first, he didn't think the gunslinger would. But then Roland clenched the rawhide lace of Susanna's pack... Rose put his hands on the small of his back, uh, stretched and walked over them. Gods, one of those things, nope, one would think no one in this band has the wit to housekeep but me, Roland said. Roland, you're just by yourself, buddy. You're the dad of the group. Or you're more like like the grandpa of the group. Oh. <laughs> I mean, how old is Roland, really? Uh, at this point, you might as well call him the ancient wise elder then. <laughs> He's the ancient one. The ancient one. The ancient oh. one. Uh, we'll pitch in, Eddie said. We always do, don't we? But look at this thing first. Roland did, but only with a quick glance, as if he did not want to acknowledge it. It's glass, isn't it? Eddie asked. Roland took another brief look. I want. What a weird phrase, he said. Uh, a phrase which seemed to mean, reckon so, partner. Western. Western. It's all Western. It's Western. Uh, we've got lots of glass buildings where I come from, but most of them are office buildings. That thing up ahead looks more like something from Disney World. Do you know what that is? No. But why don't you want to look at it? Suzanne asked. Roland did. Roland did take another look at the distant blaze of light on the glass. But once again, it was quick. Little more than a peak, because it's trouble, Roland said, and it's in our road. We'll get there in time. No le- no need to live in trouble until trouble comes. Will we get there today? Jake asked. Roland shrugged, his face still closed. There'll be water if God wills it, he said. <laughs> Christ, you can make a fortune writing fortune cookies. 
Make a fortune writing fortune cookies. Jake said. I mean, Eddie said. Yeah, he just he just doesn't really like the answers to questions. Doesn't want to acknowledge that the fancy, shiny building that's up ahead. Oh, cool. Uh. Roland was quiet all day, and as the building ahead of them near, neared trouble and in our road, he had said, Susanna came to realize it wasn't grumpiness that they were seeing or worry about anything which lay any farther ahead of them than tonight. It was the story he'd promised to tell them that Roland was thinking about, and he was a lot more than worried. Yep. It's a big it's a big tale. It's a big tale. Yes. So they made camp. Nope. Susanna's reflecting on how much she's grateful for actually being in Roland's world and how she much how much she enjoys it cuz she's not really homesick for or she's homesick for Midworld. She's homesick for Roland's world instead of being in New York again. She has so much more in this world than she did her own. Yeah. Eddie was the one who finally broke the silence. You don't have to, he said. You're excused or absolved or whatever the hell you need to take to get that look off your face. Roland ignored him. He drank, tilted the water skim up, skin up on his elbow like some hick drinking moonshine from a jug. Uh, head back, eyes on the stars and a mouthful of mouthful he spat on the roadside. Life for your crops, Eddie said, and he did not smile. Roland said nothing, but his cheek went pale as if he had seen a ghost or heard one. So... Roland decides it is time to start talking. And the first thing he does is goes back to Jake because Jake hadn't heard every single thing or had only heard parts of it. And Roland didn't realize that Eddie and Susanna had heard most of the story too. But it was about Court and his child to manhood with David, his hawk. Yeah, and we the next three pages is pretty much stuff that's already happened that we know already. Yeah. I don't have a single note the next three pages. It's like, yeah, we know this. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Martin, yep, bad guy. Early ch- uh, early manhood. Blah, blah, blah. But what we didn't hear really the first, or the first time around is that he wakes up with his prostitute, Hilker, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Well, that's my next note. Yeah. Was literally that that yeah. part. Finally, something that was new yeah. and different yeah. versus stuff we already knew. And how Stephen King writes this is almost as if, at least Susanna, because it keeps going back to Susanna, can see what's happening. Like they can just feel it happening in front of them, even though it's kind of like to me, it feels like almost like their whole cotet sharing thing, where it's like one of them is feeling strongly something about about something or telling something. And everyone else is able to just envision being... It's a very there. visual story. Yes. Uh, Roland was in motion, even before he was able to unseal his eyes. Rolling to his left, groping beneath the bed for what was there. He was fast, so fast it was scary. But, and Susanna saw this too, saw it clearly... The man in the faded jeans was faster yet. He grabbed the boy's shoulder and yanked. Turned him naked out of bed and into the floor. The boy sprawled there, reaching again for what was beneath the bed. Lightning quick. 
The man in his jeans stamped down on... Stamped. Stamped. Okay. Down on his fingers before they could grasp. Bastard! The boy grasped. Nope. Gasped. I grasped. Uh, oh, you bat! But now his eyes were open, looking up, and saw that the invader, the invading bastard, was his father. So dad's back! So, yeah, you, uh... You have your first night with a woman, and you wake up kind of like all groggy, and next thing you know, someone's just ripping you out of bed, and it turns out to be your dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the natural instinct of a gunslinger, trying to get to his gun. Someone has intruded. I don't know what's going on. Going for the guns. To which, of course, the... The lady is just like, you can't be stomping in here whenever you want, blah, 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 blah. And, of course, the guy's, his father's just like, forget this, ignores her completely, grabs Roland's guns out from under the bed. Uh, once she sees those, once she sees the guns on his hips, it's more like, oh, 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 so, oh and she pieces out. Yeah. It's an interesting turn of phrase how they say it, too. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Mm, I don't know where it's at exactly. It wasn't a note. I just thought it was interesting. Uh... She was up, out of bed, across the floor, and out the door before her bare bum had more than a brief moment. The twinkle in the morning sun. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That's one way of saying she uh, left really quickly. Yeah. But neither of the guys cared. They just no, no, looking no, no. at each other. Um, the man shook the belt under Roland's very nose as one might hold a torn garment beneath the nose of a feckless puppy that has chewed. He shook them so hard that one of the guns tumbled free. Despite his stupefaction, Roland caught it in midair. I thought you were in the West, Roland said, in Crescia. After Farson and his, Roland's father slapped him hard enough to send the boy tumbling across the room and into a corner with blood pouring from one corner of his mouth. Roland's first appalling instinct was to raise the gun he still held. Stephen Deschain looked at him, hands on his hips, reading this thought even before it was fully formed. His lips pulled back in a singular, singular, singular singularly, okay, mirthless grin, one that showed all of his teeth and most of his gums. Shoot me, if you will. Why not? Make this abortion complete. Ah, gods, I'd welcome it. Roland laid the gun on the floor and pushed it away using the back of his hand. All at once, he wanted his fingers nowhere near the trigger. They were no longer fully under his control, those fingers. He had discovered that yesterday, right around the time he had broken Quartz's nose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Father, I was tested yesterday. I took Quartz's stick. I won. I'm a man. You're a fool, his father said. His grin was gone now. He looked haggard and old. He sat down heavily on the whore's bed, looked at the gun belts he still held, and dropped them between his feet. You're a 14-year-old fool, and that's the worst, most desperate time. That must time. be where I got the age from. I was what, talking about Jake earlier. Yeah. yeah. And I must I just combined the two. That's all it was. Uh, he looked up, angry all over again, but Roland didn't mind. Anger was better than that look of weariness, that look of age. I've known since you toddled that you were no genius, but I never believed until yesterday that you were an idiot. To let them drive you like a cow in a chute. Gods, you have forgotten the face of your father. Say it. 
and that sparked the boy's own anger. Everything he had done the day before, he had done with his father's face firmly fixed in his mind. That's not true, he shouted from where he now sat. It is true, you whelp, foolish whelp. Say your atonement or I'll strip the hide from your very... They were together, he burst. Your wife and your minister, your magician. I saw the mark of his mouth on her neck, on my mother's neck. He reached for the gun and picked it up, but even in his shame and fury, was still careful not to let his fingers stray near the trigger. He held the apprentice's revolver only by the plain, undecorated metal of its barrel. Today I end his treacherous seducer's life with this, and if you aren't man enough to help me, at least you can stand aside and let me... One of the revolvers on Stephen's hip was out of his holster in his hand before Roland's eyes saw any move. There was a single shot, deafening his thunder in the little room. It was a full minute before Roland was able to hear the babble of questions and commotion from below. The apprentice gun, meanwhile, was long gone, blown out of his hand and leaving nothing but a kind of buzzing tingle. It flew out the window, down and gone. Its grip smashed ruin of metal and its short turn in the gunslinger's long tail at an end. Roland looked at his father, shocked and amazed. Stephen looked back, saying nothing for a long time. But now he wore the face Roland remembered from his earliest childhood, calm and sure. At last his father spoke. I was wrong in what I said, and I apologize. You did not forget my face, Roland, but still you were foolish. You allowed yourself to be driven by one far slyer than you will ever be in your life. It's only by the grace of the gods and the working of Ka that you have not been sent west. One more true gunslinger out of Martin's Road, out of John Farson's Road, and out of the road which leads to the creature that rules them. He stood and held out his arms. If I had lost you, Roland, I should have died. Yeah. Roland got to his feet and went naked to his father, who embraced him fiercely. When Stephen kissed him first on the cheek and then the other, Roland began to weep. Then, in Roland's ear, Stephen Deschain whispered six words. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And now you find out next week. <laughs> and next week... Uh, what? Susanna asked. What six words? I have known for two years, Roland said. That was what he whispered. Holy Christ, Eddie said. He told me I couldn't go back to the palace. If I did, I'd be dead by nightfall. He said, you have been born to your destiny in spite of all Martin could do. Yet he has sworn to kill you before you can grow to be a problem to him. It seems that when you're... In the test, or no, you must leave. Uh, Gilead, anyway. For only a while, uh, though. Uh, and you'll go east instead of west. I've not seen you alone, either. Or without a purpose, then. Almost as an afterthought, he added. Or with a pair of sorry Prentice revolvers. What purpose, Jace asked. <laughs> what purpose, Jake asked. He had clearly been captivated by the story. His eyes shone nearly as bright as always. And and <laughs> and which and which friends? These things you must now hear, Roland said, and how you judge me will come in time. He fetched a sigh, the deep sigh of a man who 
contemplated some audacious piece of work, and then tossed fresh wood into the fire. As the flames flared up, driving the shadows back a little way, he began to talk. All that queerly long night he talked, not finishing the story of Susan Delgado until the sun was rising in the east and painting the glass castle yonder with all the bright hues of the fresh day and a strange green cast of light which was in its own true color. I love this. A lot of foreshadowing here. Oh, yeah. I, I was trying to see... Um... How big is this next chapter? Part 2! I think it's part 2, chapter 1. Or part 2, Susan. Chapter 1, Beneath the Kissing Moon. How far are we... What the heck? What are you doing? Huh? What are you doing? What am I doing? What are you doing? I'm... Okay. He said that... It says... This is a happening all in one night. Remember how we talked about time? Yeah. I'm seeing when we actually get back to them. Yeah, at some point. Because it's most of the book. So, what are we going to have? So... Almost two books take place in two days? Oh, there's Jake again. Eddie. Eddie. Yep. Okay. So... This this takes place in one night, but this is the entire story. That is the Roland's overnight story. Yeah, it's a long story. A long, long story. So we will we'll be back at part four. Oh, it's like page six twelve. I'm not sure what we're doing next. <laughs> chapters. Oh, that's right. They get bigger, right? No, it's so parts. much smaller. Oh, okay. It is eight in seven pages. <laughs> uh, so I don't, I don't, I, I kind of don't think we're gonna do just one chapter next time. Proving honesty. What is the next one? The next one ends on one thirty-eight. So that would be a lot better. It'd be like twenty-three pages. Yeah. That's a lot better. So I think we're gonna do the next two chapters next time. Yes. So, so we'll do chapter. We'll do part two, chapter one, and part, I mean, chapter two. two. So, one and two of part two. Yes. Part two, Susan, Beneath the Kissing Moon. And then chapter two, and... Proving Honesty. God. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep, that's going to happen. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Yeah, yay. Yay. <laughs> God, I hate her. Yeah, I do too. All right. Hope you enjoyed this chapter of the Dark Tower, we are, like, once again, always enjoying it. Uh, if you have any, let us know what you're thinking of it. Let us know what you're thinking of it if you're reading along with us. I don't know if Kit Kat's actually reading the books or he just really likes listening to us. Um, he's actually listening. He he's actually farther than we are. He's he was listening to them on the road, so he was listening to ebooks. Well, there we go. So, so Kit Kat, let us know what you thought. Even though he's he could already either be done with the series or he could be on like the last two or whatever, and but he'll still go, he still goes back and listens to us because well, he's already read them. So. When well, he comments on not, not about the book, just about expressions and things that happen. <laughs> it's interaction. Ah, oh, yay! Uh, so let's know what you thought. Let's know what you think of the book. We're enjoying it quite a bit. Anyone else, if you're listening to this, let us know what you're thinking. I think K-Cat might be the only person listening to this. Anything's possible. Yeah, yeah. So I hope everyone's enjoying it. Could I have some lurkers? 
never know. Never know. Also, we have entire podcast services we never visit. <laughs> Y'all know how to reach us. Twitter. Facebook. YouTube. It's all the ways you're going to reach us. Right there. Wherever else we One can be. One day I'll go look around. No, no. It's too much. It's too hard. But, as always, you can reach me at Stars Untraveled, like I just said, on Twitter. You can reach a man at KZ Pup, also on Twitter, where you can reach us. Also, beyond our focus, also on Twitter. You can still reach us there. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Instagram, that is likely. Uh, my personal one, yes, I'll totally respond. The, the beyond our focus one, I'll get to that one day. Um, <laughs> We're doing great with this. But one day we'll get around to it. We're great with uh-huh. social media. And also podcast services, including YouTube. Maybe. Maybe. We skipped YouTube. Something I, I did this wrong, but it, it is what it is. <laughs> Reaches all kind of places. Around the globe or whatever. You're like, around the globe. Maybe. It's like this time you're like, and YouTube. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? It's not guaranteed. No, we'll I YouTube. see everything on YouTube. I always see the comments on YouTube. Ah, any, any final thoughts before we, we bump out of here? Sleep is good. Don't stay up. Well, I mean, if you get the chance, stay up all night with a friend telling crazy stories of life. But otherwise, sleep is good. Sleep is always good. (laughs) Never get enough of it is always good. So, till next time, long days and pleasant nights.